You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, dedicated to cultivating a just and generous expression of the Christian faith. I'm trying to think of that for Princess and the Pea, and I can't. I'm having a hard time. <laughs> but uh, think about movies. The one that's on TV every other week, I talk about it a lot. Like Shawshank Redemption, right? It has that same sort of crossroad, right? This, this, he's literally trapped. There's literally a trap, and he has this, this point, which am I going to stay here? Am I going to stay within and stay trapped? Or am I going to move out and move towards freedom, right? There are these stories that affect our everyday lives. I would say this is the human narrative, in fact. And I would say take one second and think very deeply, Have there been times in your life where you sort of come to a crossroads, where you're like, I can live my life this way, and I'll be trapped, I'll be enslaved, it'll be difficult, or I could take great steps in a lot of pain to be free? Take a few seconds. Have you felt that way before for anything? I have. I've definitely felt that way. And you know, what's interesting, when I think about these stories and I think about this, this climactic moment, this moment where the, the protagonist has to decide what is going to happen, that's what keeps coming to mind this week for me. This is what keeps coming to mind as I think about our election, about, um, you know, it doesn't matter who, who we voted for, who we didn't vote for. In my mind, we are at this crossroads as a country, and we're at this crossroads where it's like, you know what, we can sit here and be trapped and be enslaved, or we could take some very specific, direct steps into freedom, and we have a choice to make. We absolutely have a choice to make. And luckily, the word for this week, since we're in our six Hebrew word series, is Mizraim. And that meant that I didn't have to write a completely new message. It meant that I could just go off this. So what does Mizraim mean? We're in this series, right? In the series, we said we have these beautiful Hebrew words that we feel point us towards a, a more Christ-like way. They point us to Christ. They point us to the beauty of Scripture, the beauty of our Christ journey. And this word Mizraim literally translates into the nation of Egypt, okay? But it has been given another meaning by the Hebrew people, and I'm going to read it for us. It means narrow place or narrow straits and is in direct reference to the Israelites leaving slavery in Egypt by crossing the narrow path of the Red Sea into freedom. And the beauty of Mizraim is it's actually one of the most important texts in all of Scripture. So it was written before Genesis. This story was so important. They were like, we want to tell the story of us being free before we tell the story of how we got here. I think that's kind of incredible. Genesis was like a really good prequel, not like the Star Wars prequels, much better, right? And so Exodus is like the story that they wanted to start with. And so you have this story... um, of these people who are now, you know, seven, eight, nine thousand years later, continue to be defined by this story. And it's a story of what are we going to do? We have a, ch- a decision to make. We can stay at a crossroads, or we can take painful steps towards freedom. So let's, let's go over the story. Let's talk about the story. Uh, it's going to be in Exodus. I want you guys to open up uh, your Bibles, your Bible apps to the book of Exodus. And we're going to jump into Exodus chapter 14, but I'm going to give you a quick uh, synopsis of the story up to Exodus 14. You have a man named Joseph, and I think most of you know Joseph because you know his amazing Technicolor dream coat. All right? That Joseph... Uh, he led the people of Israel into Egypt as refugees. The people of Israel were in famine, and Joseph was like, you can come to Egypt and you can be our refugees, and everything was great until the Israelites started growing in population. They got bigger, and there were more people, and all of a sudden, the Egyptians started to grumble. Oh no, they're taking our jobs, they're taking our land, they're taking our livelihood. We need to do something about this. Isn't it interesting how stories are timeless? Anyway, um, and so what happens is that the Pharaoh, the, the leader of Egypt, he calls for genocide. 
That's what he calls for. He says, I want to kill the firstborn in every Hebrew home, firstborn in every Israelite home. And so that's what happens. There's a genocide that takes place. And in that genocide, it weakens Israel completely, and Israel goes into slavery. And they're in slavery somewhere between three or 400 years, and then this guy named Moses comes along. Raise your hand if you know about Moses. Good. Okay. Moses comes along, and he wants to free the Israelites from slavery. And the Pharaoh says, no, his heart is hardened. And so there's all these plagues. There's uh, 10 of them all together, but there's, you know, uh, locusts, and there's frogs, and there's uh, the water running in, or turning into blood. And then there's, you know, the ultimate payback plague, which was the killing of the Egyptian firstborns, which is terrible. And so finally, after the killing of the Egyptian firstborns, uh, the Pharaoh, the leader, relents. And he says, okay, Israel, you can go. You can leave. You're free. And that's where I'm going to pick up the story. So I'm going to read uh, Exodus 14, 5 to 7. It says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and lost their services. So he had a chariot made ready and took an army with him. And I'm going to jump to uh, uh, verse 10. As the Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said, Moses... Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us here to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert? This is the first time we're going to hear some grumbling. This is the first time. And it's not going to be the last time. I think it's amazing, right? Just let us go back to slavery. Let us go back. Um, Paul, the Apostle Paul says often, he says, I was a slave to sin. And I think in my more immature days, I was like, that's a dumb thing to say, Paul, because you're not a slave to sin. Sin's sometimes funny, and then you just stop it until like you've made a bunch of money, and then the only thing you could think of is making a bunch of money, and the next thing you know, you're, you're, you know, you're committing fraud or you're embezzling or you're doing something like that because now that thing, that sin that was, that was okay at the beginning has turned into something you're a slave to, something that has control of you. Or, you know, like slavery, you know, or it's, it's not a sin. I, you know, slavery, uh, sin is not slavery. I, I have a couple drinks, and next thing you know, those couple drinks are great, but then they turn into the thing that I have to do in order to engage with people. I have to have a couple drinks in the morning just to actually get going in my day. And now we're a slave to something. And I think about this election. I have one great friend who voted for one candidate, and I won't say who, and... Me and my friends, we've grown up together. We've known each other for 30 years. The most important thing we ever talk about is the New York Mets. All right? And this time we started talking about the election. And so this friend uh, you know, had all these ideologies and he had all these thoughts. And those ideologies and thoughts were just those. And as the election progressed, as it progressed, he became more hateful in his rhetoric. He became a vitriolic to where we were like, bro, calm down. Like, seriously, just, just take it easy. And then it got to the point that after the election, uh, we were all getting together. And he goes, I don't want to get together with you guys. And what we realized is something that was an ideology, something that was uh, an opinion, a political thought, turned into slavery, where it got in the way of humanity. It got in the way of friendship. It turned into something that we were bound by, he was bound by, instead of something that he could control. My wife was uh, uh, at Key Foods this week, and she was at Key Foods, and she was shopping, and um, there was a man in Key Foods, and the man started going, she's out, she's out, we got her out. And he goes, that means we're getting everybody else out. And then he looked at my wife, and he turned to my wife, and he said, it looks like we're going to get everybody else out. Did you hear that? And my wife's a person of color, so it freaked her out. And she comes back, and she goes, what happened? 
And I want to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. I said, maybe he wasn't always like that. Maybe the neighborhood we lived in was a really lower class neighborhood for a really long time. And maybe he has felt like the government has never had his back. And maybe he felt like there should be some change. And in feeling that way, all of a sudden there's hate and there's vitriol. And that rolls up to the point where you're yelling at somebody you don't even know to get out. I don't think it starts as slavery. I think it builds into something bigger. It builds into a slavery. It builds into an ideology. It builds into a mindset. We're scared. We're grumbling. It's easier for us to stay in there because we know it. We know how to handle it. We know how to feel it. It's easier for me to be angry because if I'm angry at that person and tell them to get out, then I actually don't have to confront that person and talk to them and, and think through what they might feel. Right? It's easier for me to post a rant on Facebook because I don't have to engage in anybody. I could stay a slave to my anger, a slave to my ideology, a slave to the thing that I want, that I believe in. Right? This is what we do. And we say, I'd rather go back. Don't bring me to freedom. It's much easier to go back than it is to walk forward. What does Moses say? He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Do not be afraid. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Do not be afraid. Oh, no. Anytime you see do not be afraid in the Bible, we should probably all be very afraid. <laughs> Seriously. Because it means something really big and really hard is coming. That's exactly what it means. It means something really big and really hard and incredibly life-changing is on its way. Well, what happens if we stop making money? Don't be afraid. But what happens if, you know, if I stop drinking? Who am I then? Don't be afraid. But this is my ideology. This is what I care about, and I'm going to stand with this person no matter what. Do not be afraid. It started off as just a diet, and now I hate my body, and I can't fix it. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But what happens? What happens? Then Moses stretches out his hands over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. And with the wall of water on their right and on their left, the Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from a pillar of fire and a cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. And he jammed the wheels of the chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea. So the waters flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched his hand out over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it. and The Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. How many people have, have heard of this story before? A lot of you. Um, did you read it in your children's Bible? Yeah, right? Did we see Charlton Heston talk about it? Did, did you just read this? It said that there was, there was a sea that parted on both sides. Have you ever been in, in the waves during like a hurricane or a bad storm? I did one time. Don't do it. It's ridiculous. You think you're going to die. You're being tossed. You're being turned. And, and so freedom 
is these giant waves on both sides that at any moment look like they're going to collapse on you and kill you, because they will kill you if they collapse on you. And then what you're doing is, is you're, Moses saying, okay, go ahead, take a step. And you take a step, and you're taking a step into mud and whatever else is down there at the bottom, and you're going, this is not right. This is not good. There are giant waves on both sides that are going to crash down. Oh, and by the way, there's a pillar of fire and smoke confusing everybody. So there's fire and there's smoke and there's confusion and there's these Israelites and they're going, I don't want to step through this. I'm one of this way. Look at this way. Well, at least we were alive. Like at least, you know, we could, we could do this. We're divided, but it's okay. And I have to imagine that, you know, there was probably a few hundred thousand Israelites. I have to imagine they started taking each other by the hand. They started looking, well, let's go. Step. In the mud, the fire's up above, waves about to crash down. Grab another hand, let's go. Step two, in the mud. Fire everywhere, confusing people. And they walk their way into freedom. It's not this nice little jaunt. You know, Leonard, Leonard Cohen died this week, so their walk into freedom is that cold and that broken hallelujah, right? That's what it is. It's the painful walk. It's the walk of leaving something behind that feels comfortable into the unknown. But it's a walk that brings freedom, and it's a walk of unity. Not uniformity. I'm sure everybody had different thoughts. It's a walk of unity. That's baptism, by the way. Baptism, sometimes I think we think baptism is this... (laughs) Is this, uh, oh, you know, oh, great, oh, you're going to go to heaven. No, it's, it's the walk through the, through the unknown to freedom. That's what it is. Our nation is sitting there, right? Our nation is sitting there, and we have two directions we can go. We can go back, or we can go forward. And forward, it looks like there's a lot of fire. looks like there's some clouds in the sky. looks like there's some waves that could tumble on us at any time. A lot of us are incredibly angry. We're ridiculously angry. And here's what I want to do. I want to affirm your anger. I want to affirm it. You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be angry on both sides. This is our Mizraim moment. It's our Mizraim moment. You're allowed to feel scared. That's okay. You're allowed to. You're allowed to feel like this is divided. You're allowed to feel like something new needs to be done. You're allowed to feel the way that you feel. And the question is, what do we do with it? Where do we go with it? Are we going to stick around? Are we going to go back? Are we going to go forward? And so I, I, you know, I was like, how am I going to preach? I don't even know what I'm going to be able to say. This is ridiculous. And I was like, let me look at Jesus. Seriously, I was. I was like, let me look at Jesus. Jesus can tell me something, I think. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I look at Jesus, then who am I looking at? I'm looking at the, the refugee, the oppressed, the brown-skinned minority who was hurt by a, a government that was bigger than his. And this Jesus says, you want, you want to come and follow me? Come and follow me, because I'm going to tell you what freedom looks like. And it wasn't, oh, yay, yay. No, freedom was standing up against the authority and saying, you know what? There is love. Caesar's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Being free meant the people that were hurt hurting you. Tax collectors who were literally taking your livelihood became the people you loved and unified yourself with. Being free meant that the least of these, the people that you did not want to give your money to and you did not want to help in any way, you're, they're the ones you helped because it made you free. Being free meant that you stood with people who were scared and people who were hurt and people who were dealing with illness and issues. That's what it meant to be free. And Jesus sits at this Passover table. He sits there with his disciples and he says, hey, 
this meal is going to signify something. This is going to signify freedom in me. Because you don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to die, and that death is going to signify freedom in me. And he says, what does it mean to be free? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then do what? Do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Turn to the person next to you, whether you know them or not. Go ahead. They might have voted for the person that you didn't vote for. They might have a different ideology than you. Guaranteed they have a different life experience than you. And Jesus says, you want to follow me? You want to know what freedom is? Love, love, love your neighbor. Do the things that I did. And then just to, just to emphasize the point, just to say, hey, this is what I want. When you are in my kingdom, this is what it looks like. Just to emphasize that point, he goes, I'm going to show you how much I love. I love to the point of death. That's how much I love. That's how much I love you, neighbors. And then he's resurrected again, so he can say, you want to know what we should do? You want to know what freedom looks like? It looks like the hardest possible thing in the world. It looks like loving the people you don't want to love, loving the people that you have your issues with, loving the people that want to kill you, walking through fire and smoke and everything else and coming out free on the other side. That's what I want our church to do, come out free on the other side. And our church, I want us to walk hand in hand, as corny as that sounds, with the people that we disagree with and start taking steps in the Red Sea. And step number one might be to simply be kind. Let's be kind to one another. Step number two might be saying, I hear your anger, and it's a righteous anger, and it's okay. Walk with me. We're going to find unity in this. I am with you. Step three might be saying, somebody might be scared and saying, I'm here. If you're scared, I'm here for you. Step four is that thing, and I say this all the time. Step four is when you, when you draw that line, you know when you draw that line and you say, those are my enemies on the other side, and what do I always say? There's Jesus on the other side of the line with your enemies. Step four is erasing the line and saying, you're beloved by God just like I'm beloved by God. We gotta do this together. Let's find ways to make it happen. And we keep taking those difficult, ridiculous Steps through the fire, through the water, towards freedom. The Passover meal also has something called a Seder. And so Jesus had this Seder with, with his uh, disciples. And the Seder is this. The Seder is they sit down for two days and they say, we're free. You know we're free. We celebrate our freedom. But what, what's getting in the way of you feeling that freedom? What's stopping you from feeling that freedom? What's stopping from you, uh, you from walking through that freedom? And so every day for two days in this celebration, uh, the people who follow the Jewish tradition, they write down the things that's stopping them from being free. And then they get rid of it. And it signifies the fact that, you know what, there is freedom, and sometimes freedom's hard to get to, but we can find it. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a Passover meal. And as we have this Passover meal, you'll see we have the cracker and the juice. And, uh, and, and what we're going to do is we're going to practice the Seder. In this time, when we have a choice between staying in slavery, staying in our own mindset, our own thought, our own divisiveness, or actually moving forward into a really uncertain and a really scary future, but doing it together and finding freedom at the end, I'm going to ask you, what is getting in the way of making that happen for you right now? You have a post-it note on your card there? Write it down. And when you come up here to take your Passover meal, Ben's going to be playing. I want you to come up, and I want you to put your note right here on this cork board, and we have push pins if you need them. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray over this. We're going to pray that these things that are stopping us from moving towards freedom 
are the things that the Spirit moves out of our lives. And we're going to pray that our church helps one another to do that right now, right here today. We are at a crossroads. We're enslaved by something. Perhaps it is this election. Perhaps it's an addiction. Perhaps it's a new a way of looking at Christ that doesn't feel free, that doesn't feel good. Perhaps it's, you name it. I don't know. What are you enslaved by right now? What's stopping you from being free? Name it. Write it down. Put it up there and let's walk towards freedom together. Let's hear the voice of God saying through Moses, do not be afraid. Let's take courage. Let's live in freedom. Amen? Lord, thank you for Mizraim. This narrow place, this narrow path, this crossroads that we have. Thank you that you have given us a story where we see people who take really courageous steps together in the midst of really trying times. And Lord, allow us to emulate that. Allow us to have the courage to be the Israelites walking through fire and water and all the rest because they know at the other end is perfect love and selflessness and kindness and unity and peace. Help us to take those steps together as a church right here, right now. We pray this in your name. Amen.